Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Oh man, well I'm so, uh, I, love, I love just seeing you guys, so I'm glad that we're all here together. Uh, today we are finishing our message series that we've been going through the last few weeks called God Never Said That. And what we've been doing has been exploring some cultural um, statements that, that Christians make or that people make in general um, that a lot of times have been ascribed to the Bible and they're not, that God never said those things. And so the, um, the first week was that above all else, God wants me happy. And so we talked about how that's a, God never said that. And really that leads us down a really bad path that distorts our view of who God really is and, and how we should be looking uh, for satisfaction in Him, but also in life in general. Last week we talked about um, the other cultural uh, statement that's false, which is that God will never give you more than you can handle. Well, unfortunately, God never said that either um, because God wants us to rely on His presence um, and He will give us, um, He will allow us to experience things that we can't handle so that we can experience His presence, learn to depend on His presence, but also experience His power in our lives. And when we are weak, He is strong. Uh, well, this week we're going to be finishing it with, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you don't hurt anyone, right? Like we hear that all the time. It doesn't matter what I do as long as I'm not hurting someone. In fact, that's kind of the libertarian um, you know, concept when it comes to politics, right? Is that, you know, like just take the government out of it and let people do whatever the heck they want to do. And, you know, as long as they're not hurting anybody, it doesn't matter. And that's a political thing and that's a different thing. But that sentiment is still kind of the case here. And so have you ever heard of uh, the word the unpardonable sin? Have any of you ever heard of that? Have ever heard anyone say that there's like an unpardonable sin? Well, Jesus talks a little bit about it, and we're not really going to be talking about that specifically. But the idea of an unpardonable sin in today's society, I think, is calling someone a sinner. Like in our society today, in our society today, I think that if you were to tell someone that they're a sinner, that people hate it. They don't want to hear that they're a sinner. All they want to know is it doesn't matter what I do, as long as I don't hurt anybody, <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with it. Don't tell me I can't do things. Don't tell me that it's wrong or that something is sinful. We don't want to hear it. All the time in our, in our personal lives, or I mean, if you think about it, churches in general have, have strayed away from, from the central nature of the gospel, which is that we are sinners in need of a Savior, right? But instead, much of the message in American Christianity has flipped to be more about like the goodness of God, the, the identity in Christ, which is all true, but they sort of like kind of tiptoe around, around sin and the, the wages of sin is death, right? And that we need a savior and we need that. And in our society, and that, and that kind of led to the fire and brimstone thing that people have railed against, that churches that talk about, you know, that you're a, an evil sinner and, and you're going to hell and you're burning in the lake of fire and all those kinds of things, which went overboard but has led to a society that where people have begun to think that because the church has not held them accountable for it or they ignore it, um, that, that it doesn't matter what I do, like I'm a good person, God loves me, he would never send me to, to, to judgment. Like, and that, unfortunately, God never said that. God never said that. Um, we think that our society is really all about tolerance, right? I mean, 
Um, it really is. Everywhere you go, it's about, about making sure that no one feels stepped on, that their toes aren't stepped on, that nobody feels bad about anything that they do. Um, and then they use things like, well, Jesus said to judge not, right? And John 3.16 says that God so loved the world. He loved the world. So, you know, we shouldn't judge other people, right? It's all about tolerance. So much so in our society that we've actually changed the, the definition or changed the, the terms that we've used for things that, are, that the Bible clearly calls sinful and kind of changed the names of some of them to make them have less of a sting on them. For example, um, like sexual sin is a great example of this. Instead of, you know, pornography, it's adult entertainment, right? You go down the highway and what do you see? Adult store. It's not porn store. It's not sex trafficking store. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's adult store, the adult entertainment world, right? But they're not porn stars. They're adult entertainers, right? Or an adultery, right? Adultery is a biblical kind of concept, but an affair. Affair sounds a little less, a little less sting on it. Or premarital sex. And we're just fooling around, right? These are the things that, that you know, and that could be any number of, of things. It's not stealing, it's borrowing, right? We find ways around the, the sting of reality to make ourselves feel, either us in the room or us as a whole society, to feel like, you know, we, that we're not being judged. Um, and in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, it says this, it says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. That's, that's a damning statement, which I think has really come true. And that's nothing new. So one thing that I will say is that this is, this is something that they dealt with 2,000 years ago, right? That people have always not wanted to feel judged, you know, don't tell me what to do. Like, I'm not happy in my marriage, so I'm kind of dating the side chick, right? Like, that's, that's, like, that's been happening since the dawn of time, and nobody wants to hear someone say, that's wrong, right? So they kind of just go to a, a church or find a religion or, or find something that kind of tells that, that, that kind of just strays to the side of that and doesn't make them feel bad about it. But, the, but Paul is telling, telling Timothy, He's teaching Timothy, raising Timothy up, and he's saying there will come a time when people will just not want to hear anything that's true anymore and will search out like people who will, who will, who will fulfill their itching ears and will te- tell them whatever they want to hear. The reality is, is that it does matter what we do, and sin is a real thing. Sin is a real thing, and it has serious earthly consequences. It's not just consequences related to our eternity. It has, it has serious earthly consequences, but it also has possibly damning eternal consequences. Sin is a real thing. And so when people go around saying things like, it doesn't really matter what I do. God loves me. Like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. Like, it's, that's just not true. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about some cultural misbeliefs about sin. And for some of us, it might be something that we think actually actively in this room, or maybe it might be you know someone or a friend of yours, or just our culture as a whole has these cultural misbeliefs about sin. We're going to talk about each of them. Number one is this. People say all the time, I'm not a bad person, right? How many of you ever heard people say, I'm not a bad person, right? And it's real easy for us to think that we're not bad people. No one likes to feel that way. Even right now, when you say, if I were to say you are a bad person, you're probably going to get a little defensive. You're like, I'm not a bad person. I'm nice. I'm kind. 
right? I, I, I recycle and, and <laughs> you know, and I, when I have some extra money, I give some money to the homeless guy on the street and, and I don't, you know, beat up my wife or my, I don't, I don't murder people. Like I'm not, I'm not a terrorist. Like there are way worse people. There are way we, worse people in our world. Like I'm not a bad person, right? The, the problem is, is that when we compare ourselves to others, it's real easy for us to say I'm a good person because there's always going to be somebody who's done things that you'd be like, I would never do that, right? It's very easy, but that's not the standard. But when we compare ourselves to God and how God created us to be, but also how God set a standard for us to live by, when you go by that standard, we are not good people. We screw up a lot. Um, let me ask this. We're going to do a little survey, okay? Um, how many of you have ever told a lie in your life? How many of you have ever stolen anything in your life? <laughs> how many of you have ever lustfully looked at another person in your life? Okay. What do we call people when they lie? Liars. What do we call people when they steal stuff? Thieves. <laughs> Wait a minute. The Pittsburgh Steelers or thieves? What do we call people when they're lustful people? I don't know. But the point is, is that all of this are wow. sinners, right? These are sinners, sin things. These are sinful things. And so anybody who's ever done any of these things are sinners, right? The sinners. Romans, Romans, chap, lusters. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says this. There is no one righteous, not even one. So you either believe the Bible or you don't, right? So when we say, like, I'm not a bad person, I'm a good person, I'm not a bad person, when the Bible very clearly says there is no righteous person, not one, that's essentially saying from God's perspective and the standard that he has put in our lives, none of us measure up. We all are sinners. I was thinking about um, the little things, the times when it just comes out of me, um, sometimes I'm driving in the car and I'll be driving on the highway and, uh, and then I'm trying to get over in the lane or somebody like, you know, cuts me off, um, or they're just like, you know, they honk their horn at me. And my first reaction is to just slam my hand on the horn and just like hold it there for like 35 seconds. And it's long. And I want to be like, and I'm like, there's times where people have flicked me off and I'm like, you mother, you know, I'm just, and I'm, I'm, it takes everything I have to hold back. And sometimes I don't. Um, when Heather's in the car, I'm like, I got to be the leader of this home. So I got to do this. But when she's not in the car, I have slipped sometimes on the way to work and said some things that weren't right. And, and, you know, the Lord has given me grace and forgiveness for that. Um, the reality is, is that every one of us, right? And like, like you, it's, I understand what you want to say. I'm not a bad person. And so, so no, you're not bad in the sense that you're like damaged goods and you're, and you're unable to be saved and you're too far gone to be helped. That's not what we're saying. But when it comes to, to the concept of, of, of righteousness, the concept of, of a need for a savior, every one of us, no matter how much money we give to charity, no matter how many missions trips we go on or how many houses we build for Habitat Humanity, no matter how many homeless people that we help, no matter how many like bags we pack together and give backpacks away to kids, no matter how nice we are to our spouses or how well we do in grades, any of those things, none of that is ultimately 
um, good enough that over to overcome the sin that is like a virus that ultimately takes over our entire lives. And until we see ourselves as a sinner, you will not ever see the need for a savior. Like, and that's really the problem with our world. And I'm, I'm not saying that we need to be those people like the old timey churches that's all about fire and brimstone, but there was something about it. There was something about churches that the gospel message, that the sermon was clearly about, we are sinners in need of a savior and you need Jesus. And that is something that I would say, like, I see it even in, like in our church or in other churches when people feel dry in their faith or they kind of start to like slip into things, it's because they have lost, we have lost that understanding of what we've been saved from. Like we forget who we used to be. And that's in some ways like a, a side effect of the goodness of God, right? Like we have, we have come so far. If you look back to who you were before you found Jesus, the mistakes that you were making, the lifestyle you lived and those things, like the stuff that you were wrapped up in, the doubt or the guilt or the shame or all of those things, now you don't have that and you're far removed from that. It's so easy for things to creep in, but we have to remember that we are sinners in need of a savior. So number one, the cultural misbelief about sin is that I'm not a bad person. The reality is that everyone is are sinners and we need a savior. Number two, there's also this idea that we think that all sin is the same, like that all sin is the same. And, and I want to be clear, what I'm not saying um, here is that, is that um, you know, some sin matters more to God in the sense of eternity. What we're really talking about here is if we're going to say that it doesn't really matter what I do as long as it's not hurting someone, right? Like, then we have to say that, understand that not all sin is the same. People will say, who are you to judge me? Like, who are you to judge me? What I'm doing isn't any worse than that person over there. Sin is sin. God never said that. But here's, here's what I would say. <laughs> the Bible does not teach that sin is the same. Now, unforgiven sin leads to eternal death. All unforgiven sin leads to eternal death. But there are things that we do in our lives that matter more here on earth. Like me um, overeating has less of a consequence physically or on this earth than perhaps like shooting someone, right? Some consequences, some things that we do will damage the, the life of ourselves or the life of other people. They're not all the same. Um, and so how we live influences a variety of things. The choices that we make, the things we engage in, the things that we watch, the things we listen to, the people that we hang out with, all of those choices have consequences on, uh, in the way that we live. Number one is consequences on earth. There could be a choice that we make that gets us in trouble with the law or causes us to fail a class or causes us to lose our jobs or causes us to have a car repossessed or any number of, of things like that, causes us to break up in our relationships, any of those types of things. How we live not only affects our, um, our consequences on earth, but also the rewards in heaven. If we have unrepentant sin in our life, that causes us to lose out on, on the reward of eternity, right? But then there's also the consequences of, of the afterlife, of separation from God, which is a real thing. And again, I don't want to like hammer on it, but the reality is, is the Bible is very, very clear that there is eternal judgment for those who have chosen to reject Jesus. Now, there are different theories on what that looks like. 
Some people um, take the literal sense in Scripture that, that, that seems to imply that, that there is a place called hell and that you will be there eternity in like a sort of a, an eternal suffering. Others believe in, in more of an annihilation concept where, where your separation from God is a ceasing to exist. Um, regardless of, of the theological viewpoint of that particular concept, the Bible is abundantly clear that sin separates us from God. An unrepentant sin, willful, like willful disobedience to God in our life, ultimately will lead us to a place of where we're separated from Him for eternity. That is clear. And that's uncomfortable. No one wants to hear that. I don't want to hear What I want to hear about is the love of God. I want to hear about God's forgiveness, about God's mercy and His grace. Um, the problem, though, is, uh, is, that, is that the Scriptures actually teach that, that not all sin is the same and that there are things that matter. Let's take a look at a couple of verses. Luke chapter 20, verse 47 says, The Pharisees devour widows' houses. That's interesting, devour. The Pharisees, who were the leaders of the church, like of the, of the Jewish temple at the time, the religious leaders, devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. That's interesting. So that implies that there are some things that maybe are less severely punished and some that are more severely punished. We don't have a lot of insight into that. This may be where concepts like Dante's Inferno comes from, ideas of various levels of hell or punishment. That's not scriptural, but that's kind of when you hear something that says they will be punished most severely. Okay, we don't know what that means. Here's another one in John 19, 11. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. A greater sin. This was uh, Jesus talking to Pontius Pilate, right? Like he, he's, he's implying that there are some things that matter more on this earth and some things that matter more for eternity. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, this is another example. Jesus, or Paul says, run from, from sexual sin. Run from it. Flee from it. He says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Every other, every other sin in Scripture, he says, stand and fight. Seriously, every other verse in the Bible talks about when it comes to something that is wrong, something that, you know, it says, stand and fight against it. Put on the armor of God and fight. But this one, it says, flee, run away. You can't handle it. It's too big for you. It's too strong for you. You will get wrapped up in it. Do not play with this. Flee from it. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. Like there's something about it. Not all sin is the same. There are some things that each of us struggle with, that each of us deal with, that each of us choose to engage in that will have consequences for us physically on earth, spiritually in heaven or in the afterlife with separation from God. It's not playing games. Not all sin is the same. It doesn't matter what I do. Yes, it does. Sin has consequences. So the first of the cultural misbeliefs about sin is that I'm not a bad person. It's okay. It's fine. I'm a good person. It doesn't matter. Number two is all sin is the same. And number three is this. Well, since I've already done it, I might as well just keep doing it, right? Anybody ever been there? I've done that at least for a season of my life. You know, like, well, I mean, I know it's not good. I know it's not right. I know it's not healthy. I know that God doesn't want this for me. This is not my best life from God's, you know, like, but I'm, I'm already doing it, so I know that one day I'm going to have to like 
repent and probably deal with this, but for now, it feels really good, so I'm going to keep doing it, right? Like, that is what we do. I mean, it could be any number of things. It could be, um, you know, with with your virginity. I mean, that was, like, for me, um, I lost my virginity, gave it away, I should say. I'm losing, but they took it from me. I gave it away when I was 14, and throughout my high school career and then into college, it was just... You know, I, I was indiscriminate, I'm going to say indiscriminately, but I was very regularly just involved in sexuality. And, and there was this idea in my mind, I know this isn't healthy for me. I know this isn't right for me, but I'm already, I've already done it, so I might as well keep going. Um, people do it with drugs all the time. You know, well, I mean, it's just one time. Um, I've already did it at the party, so, you know, I'll do it this time. Or it could be drinking or it could be cheating. It's easy to, to you know, to, to sleep with someone and then to keep doing it. Or pornography. Like, any number of things. It's any number of things to do that. And so, the idea of us, like, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm a good person. Um, you know, or I'm just already doing it, so I, 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 why should I stop, is directly challenged in Romans 6 by Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he says in verses 1 and 2, should we keep on sinning? Like, should we just keep doing what we've been doing so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? I mean, what a weird way to say that. And there is actually, there actually is like a, a religious group of people who actually believed that that in order for God's grace to be shown more heavily, more greatly for the world, that they should actively pursue sinfulness. Um, that's, that's part of what he's talking about here, but there's also a, a flip to that, which is this idea of like, well, if there's grace, like if I can be forgiven, all I got to do is just say I'm sorry. Well, then why don't I just, I just do whatever I want and then say sorry later. That's rampant in our society, right? If you know any Catholics, that's like the entire foundation of modern Catholicism, not in a theological way, but in the way people operate. And I don't anything against Catholic people, but I mean, I know a lot of them. And they'd all talk about this. They're like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I know this isn't good for me. I shouldn't be doing it. But I mean, I'll just go to Mass next week or I'll go to confession. And then I'll say a few Hail Marys and, you know, do a couple penance things and I'll be good. Like, God never said that. <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not how, it, how it works. He says, of course not. Should we keep on sinning? Should we keep doing it? Should I just, I've already done it, so I might as well keep doing it. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Like, you can't call yourself a follower of Jesus. You can't call yourself someone who's been saved, someone who's been redeemed, someone who's been purchased and set free. You can't call yourself not a prisoner anymore if you willingly walk back into the cell and sit down. Like, that's just not how it works. And here's the thing, it's like there's a lot of people who go through their lives as Christians, you know, memorizing Bible verses and, and knowing about grace and knowing about forgiveness and going on trips and, and doing all these different things. But spiritual maturity is not about how much you know, it's about how much you obey. Like the measure of spiritual maturity is truly how much you obey, not how much you know about God. And that's why there are millions and millions and millions of Christians all over the world who know a lot about God and are willing to just spout out, well, Jesus said this and Jesus said that. But you look at their lifestyles and they are far from him. They are not obedient. But the people who, who not only know God's word, but live by it when it's hard, who are willing to be persecuted or who are willing to say no to the things, um, all of that, that's where spiritual maturity is. And I read this, this statement that says, most Christians are educated well beyond their level of obedience. Yeah. Most Christians are educated well beyond their level of obedience. And I see this. I even see this in my own life, that there are lots of things that I know about. But am I readily willing 
to, to change it? Am I really willing, really willing to obey? And I truly believe this, that some of the most miserable people in the entire world are not non-Christians. They're Christians who are living in sin. The most miserable people in the world are not non-Christians because they're ignorant and they don't know any different. But the people who are most miserable are Christians who are living in unrepentant sin. People who just, because there's, they're, they've disconnected themselves from God and at the same time dealing with the effects of sin. It's like, like Luke Skywalker in, uh, in The Last Jedi. Have you guys ever seen that, the, the Star Wars Episode 8, I think it was? You've heard of it? <laughs> like, in that movie, Luke Skywalker is incredibly miserable. Because, and he, he's not, like, there are a lot of, like, non-Force users out there. Right? There's a lot of non-Force users, but they're not miserable because they've never experienced it. But Luke Skywalker cut himself off from the Force... And so he had tasted the goodness of it, but willingly cut himself off for it, and he became bitter and full of fear. And that's what it's like for us as Christians when we willingly engage in, in rebellion and defiance against what God has created for us. It takes us to a place of we're separated from the good things of God and at the same time dealing with the effects of sin. And here's what I want you to understand is that sin is progressive. Sin is progressive. It's something that grows over time. Like when you engage in something, one little thing, it's like, well, that's fine. Like, I mean, and the perfect example of this is when is my eating habits. Heather and I recently, we admitted to you guys that, that Heather and I are, are, are trying to get back into a healthy eating lifestyle. And for a long time, we did a really good job with it, you know? But then we would like go on vacation or maybe have like a weekend away or something. And, you know, while you're doing that, you tend to eat not as healthy. And I think that's fine. The problem is, is that in the beginning, you, you eat something small and then you get into the habit of it. And then it becomes other things. And it becomes before long that that's what you're eating. That's more the norm than anything else. That's how sin works. Sin is progressive. No one gets into it going, you know what I think I want to do? I want to be an adulterer today. <laughs> You know, I don't think anybody, you know, says like, I think I want to, I want to look into pornography or I want to become that person who's going to go out and steal and become like a, you know, like Bernie Madoff and like steal millions and millions and millions of dollars from people. Like no one wakes up a morning thinking that, but it does happen over little bits. I'm going to cut a corner here, get a little extra in my bonus there. Right. And before you know it, you, this is a part of your habits and your lifestyle. It all grows and it hurts God. It hurts our relationship with him. It hurts people. The choices that we make, they affect the people around us. It hurts you. It kills intimacy with God. It dulls God's voice in your, in your, in your heart, in your spirit. Like if you're in a place where you're like, I, I just haven't heard God's voice. I don't feel like he's not speaking to me. He's not talking anymore. Look in your life. What are the things that are dulling his voice? It's like sound dampeners on the wall, right? You know, if like you want to hear God, you want to hear, like you walk into like a, um, like into a music uh, studio, you can hear the music perfectly because of the, the sound dampeners that suck up the noise, right? Like the problem is, is that in our life, sin and the, the busyness and all those things that distract us, that's like taking those sound dampeners down and it's like echoes bouncing off the wall and it blocks our ears from him. Our spirit dulls, it pushes us away. The intimacy with God, sep it separates us from intimacy with him. The choices that we make separate us from him and keep keep us from hearing his voice speaking. It dulls the intimacy and it hardens our heart. And it takes you farther and farther away from him. It's farther than you want to go and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Some consequences in our lives cost, cost us. 
dearly and will take years to repay. For some people, some of the consequences of their lives cost them their lives or cost them the rest of their life in prison or, um, or a broken marriage that can never be repaired. I mean, the, some of the things that we engage in, and it's very easy for us to look at our lives and go, but I'm not that person. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not doing drugs or I'm not stealing money from people. But if we allow the sin in our life, and let's just call it that, the sin in our life, anything that is, that, is, that, that is not what God has created us for is sinful. And anything that we do, big or small, eventually will have an effect on dulling intimacy with the people around you. It will have an effect on our relationship with God. And ultimately, if it goes unrepentant, will separate us from Him for eternity. And I don't want that for myself. I don't want that for you either. But the good news is this. Jesus is a friend of sinners. That's the good news. The good news is that Jesus is the friend of sinners. The bad news is that every one of us is a sinner. We're not good people. Our nature at first is sinful. And if you dispute that, look at any child who is never taught to lie or steal or hurt people and they just do it on their own. Like that's, to me, has always been like the perfect understanding of the sinful nature is that no one taught them to say no, they just do it, right? They just know. And that grows as we become, it just, it becomes, it evolves over time. Each one of us are sinners in need of grace. But the good news is, is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And here's what I would say to you. If you find yourself today in a place where you're like, there's something I struggle with. I can't seem to beat it. I can't get out of it. I've tried before. I can't, I don't know what to do. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, and God is faithful. He will not let you tempted, be tempted beyond what you can bear. We talked about this last week where people think God will give you more than you can handle. But in this case, when it comes to sin and temptation, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That's a promise. That's a promise from God. There's always a way out. Through Jesus, there's always a way out. Even if you say, I don't know, like the consequences you face may not be able to get out of them. It's not saying that the things that I've done, I'm not all of a sudden not going to have to be liable for them anymore. Yeah, that's not what it's saying. What it is saying is that you will not have to be held as a slave to your sin anymore because of Jesus. He will always give you a way out. First and foremost, that way out is what we were saying about. Jesus paid it all. Like your soul has been set free. Your mind has been set free. Your heart has been set free. Your body has been set free. And you have a choice every time to turn off the TV or to shut down the computer or to move to a different neighborhood or to say no to a friend or to get a different job. And that might have consequences. It might be painful. It might be difficult, but there's always a way out. And I'm, I want to be clear. Like it doesn't mean that like if you struggle with sin throughout your life about about a certain thing over and over and over again it doesn't mean that you're that you're going to hell what i'm saying is unrepentant sin will lead you to that place but there should be progression in that area and our responsibility is to seek help we do need to ask god for help and for assistance and we need to be taking those ways out you know i struggled with pornography for a very long time, all the way back from when the internet came out. That's how old I am. <laughs> and I remember staying up late at night. Actually, even before that, I remember, I remember as early as fifth grade, 
It's crazy. I remember as early as fifth grade, a friend of mine, I don't remember who it was, gave me a photocopy, black and white like photocopy from a Xerox machine of a picture from Playboy magazine. And I remember one day after school going to chess club, chess club, <laughs> going to chess club and going to the bathroom and because I was drawn to it and pulling out that paper and just sitting in the stall just looking at this photo of a naked woman. And that's the earliest, the earliest memory I have of being gripped by lust, right? And and then as I grew up, that was fifth grade. And as I grew up, the internet, you know, came out with America Online. And they were, you know, I remember like staring at like thumbnails, you know, of like images on the internet. It's probably more information you guys want to know. The point is, is that throughout, like it gripped me. It had an effect on my personal life. It had an effect on my marriage. It had an effect on how I viewed women in general. It had an effect on all those things to where I felt so guilty, so full of shame. And as a, as a, as a, a man of God, as a pastor, it was something that I would deal with. And I felt like I was hiding things from people because it was a struggle, like a secret sin, all of those kinds of things. But over time, as I repented, as I said, God, your word says that you provide a way out for me. And I would realize I, there were plenty of ways out for me that I just decided not to take. Plenty of times where I, I, I chose not to, but I would choose to do so. I would ask people for, for accountability and for help. I would set boundaries up on my phone or on my computers and systems to kind of put guardrails up around me. And now here I am, 39 years old. Now, it's not to tell you, like, I think of it like as an alcoholic. Like, I don't just walk into bars, you know what I mean? Like, that's not what I'm going to do because I know my boundaries. But I will tell you that I'm so far removed from that struggle than I was before. That like there's a progression that has taken place because of God's faithfulness, because he is true and he has provided a way out. But because I was real about it with myself, I allowed myself to say, I am a sinner and this is an area of my life that needs help. I need help. I need God's help and I seek help from other people and I take responsibility for it. And over time, over time, you'll begin to get stronger. You'll find patterns that will help you build, rebuild healthy, healthy uh, behaviors and lifestyles that will separate you and take you down paths that will be better for you that will not bring you back to those places. And when you are faced with it, you will find strength. Now, I'm not saying that I have perfectly overcome this because there are days when I do still, um, you know, am still tempted, but I've learned to control it. I've learned to not let my eyes linger on things. And whatever that is for you, it could be any number of things, any number of things that are sinful, like those temptations, God will provide a way out for you. But you have to first realize I am a sinner. I'm not a good person. Like I can act like a good person, but my nature is evil. Like I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Not all sin is the same. Some things, they hurt me more. Some things hurt other people more. Some things, they have consequences that are greater and you have to be aware of those things. And ultimately, even though we, we've done it once, we cannot fall into the trap, the lie that it's okay to keep doing them. 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and he is just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's two parts there. He's faithful to forgive us so that we are not held against that anymore, but he also purifies us. He cleans us. The process of sanctification, that's a theological word that means the process of becoming like Christ, the, the progressive process. 
when we confess our sin to him, God, I don't want this anymore. I'm sorry for doing this. I don't want to be like that anymore. I turn away. I repent away from it. The spirit of God begins to cleanse us, begins to transform us and change us. He gives us ideas on things to try. He brings people in our life who will help us. We, he, he says, ask that person for help. They'll help you or you know, accountability or different things that you can do. And over time, the spirit begins to cleanse you and purify you and build new habits in your life. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in this. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is a friend of sinners. It doesn't matter what I do as long as I don't hurt anybody. God never said that. He never said that. Sin matters. It has consequences. But Jesus is a friend of sinners. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your goodness. This is a hard message, a hard lesson. It's, um, you know, it causes us to look inside at things that we have ignored or things that we maybe were ignorant of. Um, It causes us to, um, encourages us to go against, you know, our society, right? This idea of like, don't tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. It doesn't really matter. Like when the reality is, is that everything that we do, all the decisions we make, the things that we engage in um, either lead to life or they lead to death. And God, I pray that today for each of us, for each one of us this morning, that we would, um, that we would take an honest inventory, that we would open our hearts to you to receive from your Holy Spirit what is true, that you would, that you would remind us, you would tell us, um, show us the areas of our lives that are, um, that are far from you, the areas that are dulling your voice, the areas that are, that are ruining the intimacy that we want with you, that we can't have with you. God, if there are things in our lives that are separating us from you, things that are unhealthy, things that are unrepentant in our lives, God, would you, um, would you squeeze those areas with your, with your love? God, we're not, we, don't, we know that, you, that it's sensitive. We know that it's, that it's hard and it's difficult. And, but we also know that you're, that you're gentle with us. And so we just ask that you would. You would show us those spaces. You give us the courage to face them, that you would cleanse us of unrighteousness and purify us, God, and sanctify us. Make us, um, make us closer to who Jesus is and what you've called us to be. God, as we go through our lives and our days um, and we're faced with the choices um, I pray that you would help us to, to, to not fall into the trap that it doesn't matter um, what we do, but instead to live our lives that there are consequences for the every action and to choose to uh, live for you. And we make mistakes, and when we do, God, we will run to you, and we will um, ask for forgiveness, and we will receive it, God, and continue to walk um, with you. We thank you for what you're doing uh, in this challenging message. Encourage us and give us strength in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.